and I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys. The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past. And this is a wife sentence. Well, it's kind of lame. <laughs> uh, so, I'm going to give you a choice uh-huh. for, for our topic today. Oh, yeah. Would you like to learn about an unusual Christian sect, another one, or the deadliest civil war in history? Both. Oh, it's going to be tough to do two in one. So it's a good thing that this topic is both. Yes, both at the same time. I knew (laughs) it. We're going to be talking about the Taiping Rebellion. Ooh. So like with any good rebellion, uh, I I think a good place to start is what they're rebelling against. Yeah, probably. So this happened during the Qing Dynasty, uh, the... The Qing ruled China since the mid-1600s. Mm-hmm. It was led by the Manchus. That's a, a, an ethnic group, uh, not the, the majority ethnic group, Han Chinese. Uh, so they required Han men to wear their hair in the Manchu style, which is fairly familiar, especially in like stereotypes and old-timey stuff. It's the, the shaved forehead and the long braided ponytail. Uh-huh. Yeah. That was a requirement of the law. Very typical of uh, uh, imperial Chinese dynasties. They, they maintained a Confucian culture, including the uh, civil service exam system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in order to you know, rise through the ranks you know, and get a, a seat in you know, a government job, uh-huh. people could take this rigorous test that's based on uh, four Confucian texts. Okay. It was esoteric. It was very difficult. Only about 1% of people passed who took it. Oh, wow. Uh, and th- this system was around long, long before the Qing dynasty made use of it. So, yeah, it was a traditional Chinese imperial dynasty like many of its predecessors in a world that was rapidly changing. Mm-hmm. It was the last of the imperial Chinese dynasties. And in 1814... Uh, our, our central character, I suppose, uh, Hong Zhuquan, was born to a poor Hakka family. What's a Hakka? Uh, the Hakka were a marginalized subgroup of Han Chinese. They're like a, a portion of that ethnicity. Uh, he was a, a smart child, uh, young Hong Zhuquan. Uh, he could recite the four books the exam was based on when he was around 10 years old. Dang. Uh, there was a, like a local preliminary exam and he came in first. So like, hey, good sign. Yeah. Uh, so as a teen, he, he went out to the city, took the exam and failed Aww. and then came back home to be a school teacher. And he took the exam again at age 22 after taking a whole year off to study more and he failed. And the year after that, he took the exam a third time and failed And this time when he went home, he suffered a nervous breakdown. Poor guy. It was stressful to say the least. Like, uh, on the one hand, there's toiling as a farm peasant like his parents before him. And on the other, there's like servants and power and, you know, not dying under a a giant basket of grain. Yeah. Yeah. The, The story goes... He spent 40 days lying in bed, recovering from this delirious state, and he had these vivid dreams. Mm -hmm. 
Hong Zhuquan saw himself in his dreams with a second family, a celestial family. Uh, he had new parents, uh, an older brother and a sister-in-law, his, his brother's wife. He had uh, a wife of his own and a son. Now this, this celestial father of his had a long golden beard and sent him to slay the demons infesting heaven. Goodness. These dreams, heavy metal bad Quack. dreams. Yeah. Yeah. So he snapped out of it. He recovered. And uh, people who knew him before and after said that after this experience, he was a kinder, friendlier person. They also said he was taller than he used to be. Well, I mean, he did spend 40 days lying down. So, like, you kind of, your, your spine stops compressing due yeah. to gravity and it's kind of stretched out. His discs lengthened. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he started working as a teacher again and decided, you know, three strikes, I'm done studying for this exam. Being a teacher out in the country is not so bad, I guess. Uh, meanwhile, out in the, the Chinese Empire at large, from 1839 to 1842 was the first Opium War, uh, the first collision between Imperial China and uh, the modernizing West. Mm-hmm. Really quick overview, uh, Britain was encouraging the sale of opium to China, which banned it, and began seizing shipments in ports. Britain launched the war in retribution for the seizures. Like, hey, don't you dare take all of our drugs off our boats without our permission. And over the course of this war, won a treaty that opened more ports to their trade, and that's when they got Hong Kong. Ah. Up until, you know, a few years ago now. Yeah. The defeat and the effects of the treaty both caused unrest within China. Uh, so, just after that, 1843, uh, we're back with Hong Zhu Quan. He goes back on his pledge and decides, one more try. Mm-hmm. And take that exam a fourth time, and he failed a fourth time. Aww. Now, for the first time, he starts reading these pamphlets that people have been passing out to uh, students all these years. Turns out uh, they're, they're from Christian missionaries. Oh. And in them, he discovered the meaning of his dreams. He's Jesus. Not quite. He quickly identified that his celestial father is God and that that older brother is Jesus. Oh, okay. So he's Jesus's brother. He's Jesus's little brother. And that he was tasked with the mission to rid the world of demon worship. That is quite a task. You know, it's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it. So he immediately burned his own Confucian and Buddhist books and images, and he went out and shared his message and began destroying idols in temples. That's kind of rude. Smashing up dragons, you know, tearing down Buddhas, and telling everybody... Dishonor on you. Dishonor on your family. Dishonor on your cow. It's a horse, but okay. Great stone dragon. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, okay. I get, I get it. I probably it's probably bad to like reference Mulan during this, isn't it? <laughs> Completely different dynasty. Different dynasty. As as a symbol of his mission, he commissioned two huge ornamental demon slaying swords. Mm-hmm. Uh, each of them was about ten pounds. They they were not. Those are heavy swords. They were not practical pieces. No. They were ornamental. After you will all, never be able to swing that. Demons are big. Why does it have to be 10 pounds? Is it just like a giant sword? They they were more than three feet long. 
still shouldn't be 10 pounds. Like, would they make it out of solid lead? There's a lot of ornamental bits. You can have ornamental bits and still have it be practical. Well, he's got a, a vision. He's got a mission. Now we get to the organization. Mm-hmm. The God-Worshipping Society. So Hong Quan began converting some loyal followers, mostly from his own extended family, young men who had also failed their exams. Mm-hmm. Uh, a distant cousin, Feng Yushan, and another, Hong Rangan. Okay. Just a reminder that Chinese family names go first, so that Hong is not a coincidence. They're both from the Hong family. Yes. Three of them and and the, the other early inner circle was continuing to go and preach and smash symbols of the existing order, traveling through uh, the Guangzhou and Guangxi provinces. That's on uh, the southeast of China. And moving on from town to town as they got in trouble with the law for, you know, smashing things. Mm-hmm. Causing trouble. Rabble rousing. Yeah. So in the fall of 1844, Hong went home and began writing. Uh, His writings eventually included his own Chinese translation of the Bible. Uh Uh, While Feng kept preaching in his place and named their followers the God-Worshipping Society. That is a very interesting name. It's both evocative and generic. Yeah, I was going to go with like generic. (laughs) Because like that encompasses a lot of societies. But secret societies and defense clubs and other groups of that ilk were were becoming pretty common around this time as the dynasty began its decline. Mm -hmm. Once the state starts to fracture, people find like-minded folks to to stick up for themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, It grew fastest among other Hakka, uh, with converts generally coming in groups. You know, you you didn't get an individual. You got a whole family. Uh, You got... All of the farmers in town. You got sometimes whole towns. So Hong came back to the region in the summer of 1847 to find this God-worshipping society was about 2,000 members strong. I mean, if you're going to go with that title, it's probably a lot bigger, but okay. Sure. (laughs) They'll get there. 2,000, yeah. They'll get there. This is when Hong began calling himself a king and said that the Manchus were among the demons it was their job to destroy. Uh, Okay, this escalated really f***ing fast. (laughs) Somehow we went from, let's worship God to... You know, my dad, God. I'm the king and let's kill people. I really think God is a step down from Jesus' little brother, though. (laughs) Maybe that's my perspective. I am. But they they were a militant group from the start, even before this proclamation. They were a marginalized group that was even below the the main Han uh, ethnicity. So eh, you're you're rolling with a rough crowd. The region they were in was... Uh, one of the least stable parts of China, so there's a lot of banditry about. Mm-hmm. So during this this period of, I guess, explicit radicalization, Feng gets arrested. Mm-hmm. And the God-worshipping society was uh, uh, powerful enough to bribe officials enough to have him exiled from the area rather than executed on the spot. Mm. And Hong left with him because they're buddies. Yeah. And they didn't return for more than a year, leaving these 2,000 and growing people to their own devices. So we get two local members stepping up in leadership roles, Yang Ching and Zhao Chaogui. Okay. 
Yang Ching claimed that he had been deaf and mute until he attended society meetings and heard their teachings, which cured his deafness and muteness. That is amazing, since he couldn't hear them. They were the first things he heard. He just... They opened his ears, and he yeah. received the wisdom. Okay. Like... So much wisdom <laughs> that he had the ability to enter trances, during which God the Father spoke through him. Uh-huh. Uh, Zhao Chaogui also had trances during which Jesus spoke through him. Oh, oh man. Was there like a lot of um, rivalry between this? Because one gets oh, God yes. and one gets Jesus and like... Oh yes, there was. And they're both ahead of Hong, who just is Jesus's little brother. <gasps> like when these guys aren't channeling, they rank below Hong. But when they are channeling, I mean, Yang's in charge because he's God. Oh, man. Now, on their return, Feng and Hong investigated these claims and said they were indeed legitimate. Mm-hmm. Not that many records of this uh, of this period survived, you know, the war we're about to talk about. Yeah. But the ones that do paint uh, a picture that Yang was very self-consciously scamming all of these people. <laughs> you don't say. Hong was a true believer in, in his visions and in his mission from God. Yang was not. Yeah. Yeah. So I was zooming back out to China at large. We're up to 1850 when the Zhang Feng Emperor assumes the throne at age 19. Mm-hmm. And this is basically when the uprising begins. Uh, by the end of 1850, the society has grown to tens of thousands of members, Ooh. and the provincial government begins ordering them to disperse under threat of death. Mm-hmm. Get, get out of here or else. Yeah. No uncertain terms there. So Feng Yushan begins order, organizing them into an army and defends Hong's home from the Imperial Army's first attack with Yang Zhuqing's reinforcements uh, coming up from behind and, and forcing a retreat. Uh, the beginning of 1851, like the beginning, like New Year's Day, uh, they ambush the Imperial counterattack with a, a much, much larger force and drive them back. So on the 11th of the year, the leaders officially form what they call the Taiping Heavily Kingdom. <laughs> so they are now a separate state. They are their own government of their own people. Uh, they, they basically seceded from China. Okay. Now, were this successful, this would be the beginning of a new dynasty. Mm-hmm. This is more or less the typical thing. You know, uh, uh, there is some crisis that the old dynasty can't handle. This, this young new movement starts to gain territory, and eventually they become legitimate over the course of a civil war. Yes. That's not how it worked out. Uh, there, there is no Taiping dynasty. No. Foreshadowing, I guess. So after a few years of guerrilla fighting with support from other anti-Manchu factions, you know, that the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the rebels reach Nanjing and capture it as their capital, renaming it Tianjing. And this becomes the seat of the Taiping Heavenly Kingdom from here until its end. On the way, Fen Yushang had died a year earlier. Aww. He was riding in a sedan chair uh, with his forces outside a city that they didn't have any plans to attack uh, when a, a gunner from that city fired at him and wounded him. Mm-hmm. The army then took the city in retribution over only two days and killed everyone inside who had not yet fled. Oh. 
And Feng died from the wound about a month later. I know it's not what it is. Uh Uh-huh. But I automatically imagined, like, a sedan, like the car. Yeah. As a chair. His chair had four doors. (laughs) Like, because it's one of those chairs, is it like one of the chairs that people carry or something? Basically, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I imagined that, but like shaped as an actual sedan. Yeah. That's what my brain did automatically, and there's still people carrying it, but it looks like a car, and he's got like a little steering wheel inside that doesn't actually do anything. Mm-hmm. A little horn. Yeah. Yeah. Zhao Chaogui was also killed in battle in 1852. It's a bit of a less interesting story, so we'll skip it. But Oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, Jesus is gone. The, the, Bye, Jesus. The Jesus channeling guy is gone out of the picture. Uh, so after taking Nanjing and renaming it Tianjing... Uh, they killed all the Manchu men in the streets, while the Manchu women were taken outside the walls and burned to death. Oh! That, that's perfectly in line with one of their central tenets of, of this heavenly society. Burn people? You'll see what I mean in a second. Now, with a fortified city, the Taiping Heavenly Kingdom could create the society they wanted. This was a completely militarized society. All who were able to fight were expected to. After all, they were under constant siege. Yeah. The examination system was kept, which is kind of a surprise. Uh, I mean, they all failed their exams, but I guess they still believed in the process. Huh. Of course, the big change is that the central text to study was the Bible. That is a big change. I mean, if... Confucianism is one of the demons. We can't have the four books. That's It just makes no sense. Uh, the Manchu hairstyle, rather than being legally required, was legally banned. And everyone grew long hair from their entire scalps. A common nickname for their army was the Long Hairs uh, among imperial Chinese uh, territory and, and the military. So they had hippies way before we did. <laughs> Opium, gambling... Tobacco, alcohol, polygamy, slavery, and prostitution were all punishable by death. Okay, I can get behind some of that. Yeah. Some of it. Some of it. They are very... I was going to originally make a joke about how they're not very fun hippies, but, you know, (laughs) hippies aren't into slavery, so that joke doesn't really work the more you went on. (laughs) You heard it here first, folks. Hippies, not into slavery. It's not their favorite thing. I was like, oh, oh, no, no, joke does not work anymore. Very rare cases, but like it wasn't, it wasn't a major part of the hippie experience. (laughs) Now, even with some of these laws, Hong and and the the other five kings did keep concubines. Of course they freaking did. Yeah. I'm holier than thou. I get my concubine. I mean, literally, in their case. Screw them. What jerk. Uprise against that. It's, it's just uprisings all the way down. It's, it's a matryoshka of uprisings. Uh, the most striking change, though, was that they, they declared a classless society with the total equality and separation of the sexes. So land was held communally and distributed for use by the state. That No uh-huh. one had uh, a personal property. They put an end to the practice of foot binding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and women fought in the military alongside, well, not exactly alongside men, like I say, segregated in, in their own units. Uh, but they, they were part of the army. It's all, you know, equal and everything. 
except you guys don't get concubines, but we do. No woman rose to the level where you could get away with having concubines. But uh, still not all the dudes could get them either. They were still like, we're better than the rest yeah, of you. Yeah. <laughs> Their system is built on lies. There was some hypocrisy at the top. Hypocrisy. Uh, that's not a word. That doesn't work. <laughs> but women were also allowed to take the civil service exam. Uh, Fu Shanjiang was the first woman to ever pass the exam in all of China. Uh, and she became a leading official in Yang Zhuiqing's court, reading all of his correspondence since he was illiterate. Oh! So she, she, she was his, his right-hand person. Like I said, military units and the whole darn city were segregated by sex. If you wanted to go to the fish market, there was a fish market staffed by men for male customers and a fish market staffed by women for women customers. Did they only sell, sell male fish at the male fish market and female fish at the female market? It depends on what you want to do with the fish. I really want to know about this. For the first two years of Tianjin, married couples were also forced to live separately. Only for the first two years. They they eventually had the law changed. They were like, oh, if you're married, you're, you can interact. Yeah, to, Good to luck a, finding a husband, though, or yeah. a wife, because you can never actually interact with each other. Just only if you were married coming into this. I'm really not sure how it lasted in the long term, because they didn't get much of a long term. I just have so many questions about this. Yeah, like right? The logistics of, like, wait. I mean, I assume they started letting married couples live together because they started getting a little worried about population continuing i always wonder about that yeah there's a lot of in the whole history of heterodox christian sects mm -hmm. a lot of them are entirely celibate the shakers were were super celibate like uh the the gnostics certain early gnostic texts super celibate go listen to the acts of thomas on a front of the show sunday school dropouts very against, like, spreading their beliefs, because they don't want to create a new generation to follow. Spread by preaching, not by, you know, the other thing. I guess they just really want everyone to eventually die, so they can, like, go... The end. <laughs> Yay, we did it! <laughs> as soon as they took the city, the, the Green Standard Army, uh, which was the, the Chinese Imperial Army in the area at the time... Uh, began trying to lay siege, and by 1856, they launched an attack to retake the city. But they were routed with uh, nearly half of their 80,000 troops dead in the attempt, including the commander who hanged himself after the retreat. Oh. And with that, we're going to take a quick break. Okay. And be right back. So, the, the Taiping Kingdom has existed for a little while now. Mm -hmm. uh, their, their armies are marching through literally every province of China, though their, their power is centered in uh, those two provinces we mentioned. Mm -hmm. the, the G ones down in the southeast. <laughs> so then we get toward, you know, what happens once they've settled down, when this army becomes a government, at least the ones who get to stay home. Mm-hmm. What happens it has been called the Changjing Incident. 
Oh, this ain't gonna be good. Yeah, the the sort of vague name that lets you know that something bad's about to happen. This is when like aliens come and like things explode and someone messes up and sends an email to the newspaper. <laughs> So, like we said, a few of the early highest level uh, uh, founders of the Heavenly Kingdom, the kings of the kingdom, had passed away. Mm -hmm. And so their duties and their power passed to Yang Zhuqing. And he liked being in charge of the Heavenly Kingdom. Mm -hmm. he, he basically served as like a, a prime minister. He was in charge of administrating the city. He had a whole lot of the army under his command. And Hong Juquan just liked to sit in his palace and issue proclamations and, and lie in the lap of his dozens of concubines. Well, yeah. Yeah. So while channeling God in one of his trances, he summoned Hong and demanded to have a title equal to his. And that, that, that's a power move right there. Yeah, yeah. Leading up to this point, Hong had been pretty nervous about Yang's drive for power and his network of spies throughout the city and beyond, and a rumor made its way to him that Yang was planning to assassinate him and seize the entirely heavenly kingdom for himself. <gasps> so Hong sends out a secret message to the other remaining kings mm -hmm. to return with their armies to, to put down this, this threat. So two arrive very quickly, Wei Chuanghe and Qin Rigang. They, they arrive on the same day, shortly thereafter, and immediately rush into Yang's home, and they kill him, and they kill his 54 wives and concubines. That's a lot. And they kill everyone else in the household they can find. And uh, Wei decides to begin a purge of all of Yang's supporters, and many of which were his own rivals, in the city, racking up about 27,000 deaths. Dang! So the, the third uh, person to receive th this message from Hong uh, returns three weeks later, uh, Shi Dekai, and finds a bit of a kerfuffle. A bit. A bit. A little one. When, when he asks, you know, hey... What, I'm sorry I, I couldn't make it sooner. What's been happening lately? You would not believe the look on his face. <laughs> yeah. So he reprimands Wei for the massacre. Oh, I hope he does! Now, Wei didn't like being reprimanded very much. And so later that night, uh, he tried to have Xi arrested, uh, but found that Xi had already fled the city and began massing troops outside the walls and sending messages to Hong asking him to just kill Wei. Because, like, the, the people are spooked. There's blood in the streets. Get, just kill one guy before he kills everybody, please. Mm -hmm. Wei instead killed Xi's family and subordinates inside the city, uh, rather than, you know, go quietly. Now, as the uprising outside the city grew, Wei tried having Hong killed so he could seize power completely. But he was stopped by troops loyal to Hong and some surviving uh, Yang loyalists out for vengeance. Mm -hmm. So Wei was killed and his severed head was sent uh, outside the city to Xi to appease him, followed by a limited purge of his immediate subordinates and loyal supporters. Limited. A limited purge. Only a couple thousands of tens of thousands. 
Now, in the official records of uh, uh, the Taiping Heavenly Kingdom, Yang's death was remembered uh, as the Heavenly Father returning to heaven. Not as, you know, the the execution of a traitor or anything like that. Yeah. Now, after all the bodies piled up, the the last of the, the kings of the Heavenly Kingdom was Xi. He had absolute control of the military, but... This whole episode got uh, Hong's paranoia up. And so she left the city with his army never to return. Because if he stayed, like, it's just going to get bad. Yeah. The people lost their faith in the leadership. I'm not surprised. Not surprised at all. Uh, The new kings that were appointed, mostly from Hong's family, were more corrupt than their predecessors and far less committed than these guys who earned their position by being, you know, there in the early days before there even was an army and, you know, succeeding in the the early military campaign. These were some Johnny-come-latelys who inherited big palaces with big staffs, and there you go. Although this is when Hong Rangan returns to the Taiping Heavenly Kingdom and begins administering the city after he spent some time with a Portuguese missionary. And they were just, like, comparing versions of, of Christianity. Like, no, I don't think Jesus had a little brother. <laughs> and I don't think he's your cousin. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but for three more years, the rebels had some pretty notable military success. They continued capturing towns from imperial control and breaking uh, another siege or two of Changjing. Uh, they sought out but never received Western support. Uh, but they did buy weapons from Western traders while the imperial military did not. Mm -hmm. Uh, Meanwhile, a second opium war had broken out that was even worse for imperial China than the first. And there were other smaller local rebellions every which way, uh, some of which allied with the Taiping forces as they passed on through. Mm -hmm. But their, their fortunes changed in 1860, when they attempted to capture Shanghai. They, they keep trying to, to break our capital. We'll show them how it's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Imperial forces were supported by British and French consultants and used modern artillery in a major battle for the first time in China. Outnumbered two to one, the Qing forces turned Taiping's back. Uh, it, it was a decisive victory for uh, Imperial China. And Taiping never tried to take Shanghai again. 2,000 troops on the Qing side were led by an American soldier of fortune named uh, Frederick Townsend Ward. Uh, They became known as the Ever-Victorious Army by the Qing government, which became true. One of their, their tactics was to use China's rivers and canals not as an obstacle, but as a highway system to move their troops and artillery quickly instead of relying on roads that might get washed out or barricaded. Ah. <laughs> now, around this time, the, the previous emperor died, and the Tongji emperor, age six, assumed the throne. Oh. Uh, with actual power wielded by his mother, the Empress Dowager, who seized that uh, from th- this council of elders that her late husband set up uh, at his funeral. Uh-huh. through a small coup. 
the 1800s, they were a pretty chaotic time in Imperial China. Yeah. I, I just yeah. want to make that as clear as I can. Lots of stuff happening. So Shi Dekai was captured in a battle in 1862, uh, the, the last of the, the OG kings, and executed by slow slicing. Ooh. Slow slicing is the execution method that has become, I guess, uh, uh, popularized as the death by a thousand cuts. Mm-hmm. They, they basically tie you to a wooden frame or post. And there, there was a manual where they would cut chunks out of you bit by bit while you bled to death. And it, it, was, it was gruesome and bad. Yeah. Historical records uh, written by the Qing say, quote, Through the entire torturous execution, she did not flinch and never once cried out in pain. Did he die really quickly and they just didn't know? <laughs> That's one theory, I guess. <laughs> like, I get what they're trying to say, but my thought would be like, maybe he passed out. <laughs> and they just didn't realize. So in 1864, Imperial troops set up yet another siege of Chanjing. In December of 1863, Hong Zhu Quan is urged to abandon the city in the face of the imperial advance. Hong instead declares that they will all stay, and anyone who disobeys this order will be executed for denying the will of God. And over the course of the coming siege, over 200,000 troops would surrender, and an unknown number, but uh, just deserted and escaped into the wilderness Mm -hmm. to, to have new lives where they weren't being run by someone who clearly could not count, I guess. Yeah. By March of 1864, the city was completely surrounded and the siege was complete, you know, cutting off their supplies and uh, definitely a, a demoralizing uh, experience, especially when Hong Zhuquan dies of food poisoning from eating something tainted from the food stores. Uh, meanwhile, many in the city starved. I mean, he had food, but it wasn't exactly good. It did kill him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was succeeded by his 14-year-old son. Both sides had been uh, uh, drilling tunnels back and forth, collapsing the other side's tunnels in, in order to uh, either break into the city or break the siege. Uh, the attackers filled one of these tunnels with explosives to blow open the wall, and 60,000 troops rushed into the city. After fierce fighting in the streets, they set the city on fire, and it burned for a week. Another 200,000 from the Heavenly Kingdom died. Do they have many more people left? The bloodiest civil war in the history of the world. Dang! Hong's body was uh, found and exhumed and incinerated, and his ashes were fired from a cannon, so his body would never be laid to rest. That is going out with a bang! Waka waka. <laughs> did you did you mean to do that? Kind of, but I didn't expect waka waka. No, the, the Heavenly Kingdom wasn't just uh, that city. It took seven more years before the rebellion was true and entirely put down. Uh, Hong Rangan, one of those early converts who, who uh, came back to the city to serve as administrator after the purge, 
He was arrested and executed in 1864, the only captured leader, after the fall of the city at least, to not renounce their ideals in his confession. Crap. Fu Zhang, uh, that highest-ranking woman, uh, assistant to Yang, survived the purges. She, she was not killed uh, when his, the rest of his household was. She did commit suicide during the siege rather than be taken by the imperial army. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hong Changfu, uh, the son of Hong Zhuquan uh, and you know, second emperor, was also executed by slow slicing in November of 1864. His last recorded statement was, Guangdong isn't a nice place. I don't want to go back. I only want to study with old master Tang in Hunan, then become a first degree scholar. Okay. These are not last words that speak to being the nephew of Jesus, the grandson of God. No. Or even of being, you know, a a rebel leader of a group that had a fighting chance of overthrowing you know, the the Qing dynasty. No, it's not. Historians are divided whether he was trying to, to play innocent for sympathy or really had no idea what was going on around him. Yeah. So the death toll is minimum 20 million. Some say 20 to 30, some say 20 to 70. Some estimates go as high as 100 million dead. And people think I talk a lot about death in these episodes. I think you just won. <laughs> it's all about first impressions, and you totally had me beat for like the first three months of the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get it back, don't you worry. The big reason why this was so deadly is that both armies engaged in total war. Uh, total war meaning that nothing is off limits You aren't attacking your enemy's army, you're attacking your enemy's ability to make war at all. Burning fields, slaughtering cities, uh, over 600 towns and villages were just completely destroyed. Uh, Qing forces would not accept surrender from anyone speaking the Guangxi dialect. Oh man. So if if you sounded like, you know, somebody from the the center of this uh, uh, rebellion, you were immediately put to death. Like, no no prisoners here. They killed over a million civilians just in Guangxi. It is also considered the most destructive man-made disaster in history. Huh. That's just, like, an interesting, like, title? Like, phrase? And you know, frankly, I'm not thinking of many non-man-made disasters that get up to 20 million, 30 million, 100 million either. Yeah, yeah. So the Qing dynasty did survive uh, this rebellion and, and several others to come. Uh, but each one, it faltered more and more in the face of the modern world, eventually collapsing in the early 20th century they did not survive to see uh, uh, Japan occupying territory in World War II, and they, they were practically a memory by, by the time of Mao. So, darling, mm-hmm. what have you learned? I didn't know any of this. No? <laughs> I knew none of this. Well, you, you learned where that weird caricature hairstyle came from. Yeah. 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 I get, like, good to know that I guess is based off a real thing. <laughs> not just completely like made up but yeah i i, I did not know about this mm-hmm. uh i feel like i should because of how many people that died 
it, it obviously had a giant effect, but how many failed rebellions do you really remember? You know? Yeah, that it, I mean that's a big thing is like if it failed, you don't It's sort of a history is written by the winners thing. And I guess it's kind of one of those things like I don't know, do do people wanna tell the stories of the millions of people who died? Yeah. No, probably not. It's interesting seeing who takes up this mantle because like in uh the the mid 20th century Mm -hmm. uh there there were some in communist china who like looked to the taiping heavenly kingdom as as a model like they were throwing off the shackles of of the the regressive imperial system and and they seize land for as communal property never mind the whole like son of god thing we're just (laughs) That's not important. That fact. Uh, but you know, you, you can cherry pick a lot of aspects of this to fit a lot of other things, yeah. which is what cherry picking is for, I suppose. I feel like the big thing that I guess I'm I'm disappointed I never knew is that Jesus had a little brother. Jesus had a brother, yeah. Yeah. How is there not a musical about that? There is a book that came out in the nineties. There, there's a uh that a historian wrote called Jesus's Chinese Brother. <laughs> that's kind of a great name I mean, for a book about this. There you go. <laughs> I mean, that's something that's going to make people go, hmm, let me look at this book. And I think it's also a testament of the, the power of Christianity to speak to uh, a downtrodden outsider people. Mm-hmm. Like, struck a chord with the Hakka, especially this slightly you know adapted version of it yeah that spoke directly to yeah you're right this confucianism isn't doing anything for us it does kind of suck right now Mm -hmm. but hong was apparently especially attracted to the old testament image of god as a guy who just like i just want you to follow the rules if you follow the rules i will reward you if you break the rules you will be ruined yeah (laughs) yeah and that's basically the story of the Old Testament over and over again. Yeah. You didn't follow the rules. You need to follow the rules. Follow the rules. You didn't follow the rules. And here comes Persia. Yep. There you go. There you go. So we're going to go follow our own rules. Yeah. And that means we have to read some letters. Letters. So we'll be right back. Okay, <laughs> gonna cut all that out. So we're back with listener mail. Yeah, and we got some wonderful letters from folks like yourselves. Uh, so Sam sent us an email. Uh, Sam has caught up on our backlog. Welcome to being current, Sam. Uh, and is uh familiar with your let's plays, mm-hmm. and uh, but was not prepared for how adorable I'd be in these episodes. It's very, it's hard to comprehend. I right. I'm just so adorable. But Sam answers some old prompts. Uh, favorite play or musical are both ones they have been in. Uh, one being Avenue Q, uh, and the other being Escanaba in the Moonlight. Are you from Michigan, Sam? That's like a rite of passage. Escanaba in the Moonlight. Yeah, yeah. It, it very much is 
Uh, if you are a community theater in Michigan, you must do Escanaba in the Moonlight every yeah. five years. Yeah. Uh, or you will be barred from the state. <laughs> uh, and you must have some experience with Avenue Q if you were at all involved with theater in the 90s. In the in 2000. If you're young ish. if you're younger than 40 and older than 25. Yes. You have to <laughs> you have, you have to, to at least be familiar. Yeah. And then uh favorite commercial is the cars.com Super Bowl 42 commercial. Mostly because it says Stone Circle Death Match. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh and a local Audi uh, from Sam's hometown in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, is uh, that their local Sam's Club sells more dinner rolls than any other location in the country. And there's only about 60,000 people in the town. They love their bread, though. I'm, I'm curious about this. Why? Why is your town so in love with Sam's Club dinner rolls? Who tracks this? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Uh, they spent several years in the bakery there, so like, I, okay. I guess you got to know how much you're ordering, and then maybe they're like, "Are you sure you're going through that much dinner roll mix?" Uh, seems a little excessive. Not, one of your employees isn't stealing it right. Congratulations to you and your club. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. Mateus writes in to tell us a few stories. Uh, they're a sailor that's on a boat that is uh, at the time we're recording this on Lake Superior. Hey. Having sailed near Mackinac Island, which is pretty cool. And uh, he takes a, a, the favorite history about a boat prompt as an excuse to tell a story about the time he and his boat rescued some French yachters in a regatta uh, who went overboard uh, off the Azores. Oh, man. Which is uh, an exciting uh, episode in the life of one Mateus. That That is a uh, most exciting uh, work story. <laughs> for ever. sure. So thanks very much for the story, but not as much as I'm sure the sailors ought to thank you. <laughs> also, we might be getting a letter later about the third largest cemetery in Europe, uh, which is in his home city in Poland. Uh, so we, we got some quick facts here, but I'll save those in case we get a real juicy one later. Yeah. So thanks very much. Will sent us an email. Uh, Will. Thanking uh, you for mentioning Sunday School Dropouts before. Yay. Uh, as they've started listening to the show. Uh, I mentioned it again. Yeah. And... <laughs> Basically, other people should check out Sunday School Dropouts and be like Will. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks, Will. Thank you. And our last letter we have to read is from Dan. Yeah. Uh, Dan was with us for Gextra Life earlier this fall, so thank you very much. And has another quick prompt grab bag. Uh, favorite detective, Lord Peter Whimsey from the work of Dorothy L. Sayers. Lord Peter gives some practical wisdom regarding morality, feminism, good social conduct, and other uh, life lessons. Uh, a bit more practical than some of the, the nonsense that fell out of the mouth of Holmes, like saying that flowers prove the existence of God and that Britain should reclaim its dominion of America. Yeah. He's a bit of a fuddy-duddy sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, favorite historical house, Villa Alba, uh, near Melbourne, Australia. 
which holds one of, if not the, largest preserved examples of aestheticism-influenced design in interior decoration. That sounds like something a realtor would make up. <laughs> and you'll just be like, oh, yeah. But oh. it's where Dan was married. Aww. So that's amazing. Congratulations, however long ago that was. Yes. And thank you very much for writing in and, and all of your kind words to, to everybody who gave us a letter this time. Mm-hmm. If you would like to send us a letter uh, with a story to share, a show suggestion, a question, comment, or to answer one of our prompts, where can those go? Uh, HistoryHoneysPodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And speaking of prompts, are you going to do your job unlike I did? Yes. Yeah? Yeah. What? I always do my job unlike someone. What do you want to hear from the people? I want to know people's favorite animal fact. Yeah. Or facts. Favorite animal fact? Yeah. Like how owls, their ear holes are, aren't level so that they can not only tell left from light, right, but also up from down? Yeah, and wombats have square poops. Wonderful. So whatever you want to tell us <laughs> of that variety or other varieties. Or, again, anything else you'd like to share that may well get read on the air. And those can go to... HistoryHoneysPodcast at gmail.com. Fantastic. You can also get in touch with us on social media, mm-hmm. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Mm-hmm. Those are all at HistoryHoneys. Mm-hmm. And you can tell a friend. You can tell your barista. You can uh, tell other people i don't know i've i've really run out of the types of people you can tell i know there's a whole long list of other people out there There, there's There's more than baristas there's baristas and there's everyone else and there's everyone else tell tell everyone don't just keep it to your baristas your local zookeeper (laughs) yeah veterinarian yeah animal training expert uh groomer uh pet store employee dog walker Bird spotter. Um, Not a profession, but a fun hobby. Animal owner. (laughs) (laughs) Pigeon caretaker. Or pigeons. Or pigeons, you know. Spread the news. Spread the love of uh, history, honeys. Word of mouth is so important. And another way you can help us grow is by giving us a rating and review on iTunes uh, or Stitcher or wherever else you find us. But those... Tell the robots that we got something we're sharing. Yeah. And they also tell us what you think. Yeah. 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 Uh, and some p- p- personal promotion. I run an Etsy shop called Yay. Mad Fuzz. Yeah. Uh, where I sell hand-knit and hand-sewn items. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is the holiday season coming up. So if you are looking for a gift for someone... One of a kind, handmade. One of a kind. I am also open for uh, commissions. So if there's something that you're interested in that yeah. I don't have. Even one of a kinder. Yeah. Uh, you can go to my Etsy page and send me a little message and I can see if it's something I can do for you. So check that out. We'll have a link in the uh, descriptions. And I don't know, if I don't have what you're looking for, support other small local artists. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And with that, I'm Grant. I'm Elena. And history's better with with your honey. honey.